Welcome to the Rockbrook Church Podcast. Our hope is that today's message brings you hope and clarity for your spiritual journey. We love hearing how God is working in your life. Feel free to share any stories of how this message gave you a new perspective and hope. Email us at church at rockbrook.org to tell your story. Well, good morning. Good to see all of you here. Good to see all of you out there online. Glad you've joined us. And uh, we've got a great service for you today. Nice shirt, Dan. I like that. And a uh, guy down here wearing my shirt. And, uh, we're in the second part of a four-part series on the book of Philippians. And uh, it's good to have you with us. We're looking at specifically at the topic of joy. Uh, joy, how to get it, how to keep it, how to spread it around. Uh, Philippians 4, the Apostle Paul tells us, Rejoice in the Lord always. Say that word always with me. Always. I will say it again, rejoice. Uh, if you were to ask people, wh what's the pathway to joy? Uh, many people would say, well, uh, get an education, get a job, get married, have a family, make a lot of money, and retire. That's the pathway to joy. And yet a lot of people do those things, and those are very good things. In fact, they're very wise things, and I would recommend them. But they're not the key to the joy. A lot of people do that, and they're not joyful at all. And so we learned last week that joy is internal, not external. That joy is based on our relationship with Jesus Christ. And joy is something that we have to choose. We have to choose. And last week I asked you the question, are you choosing to see wildflowers or weeds? Uh, because it's your choice. Uh, so last week we looked at joy no matter what. And if you missed that one, I'd encourage you to go to rockbrook.org, give it a, a watch, give it a listen. I think it'll be very helpful to you. But this week we're looking at joy beyond ourselves. Uh, chapter 2 of Philippians, the Apostle Paul teaches us that joy is found beyond ourselves. Uh, on your notes, on the screen, on the app, Philippians 2, verse 1 says, If you have any encouragement from being united with Christ... If any comfort from his love, if any fellowship with the Spirit, if any tenderness and compassion, then make my joy complete by being like-minded, having the same love, being one in spirit and purpose. Paul says to the Philippian church, make my joy complete by having the same mind, be united in thought, have the, share the same love, you're united in your emotional responses. When, when you are one in spirit, there's a spiritual unity. When you're one in purpose, that's a missional or directional unity. You have the same mind, same love, same spirit, same purpose. Uh, can you imagine a, a, a family, a, a marriage, a workplace, a church like that? Same mind, same love, same spirit, same purpose. But sadly, that's the, the opposite of what's happening in our culture. Uh, it's the exact opposite of our human nature. Uh, that's not where our culture and our human nature goes naturally. And that's why Paul goes on to issue us this warning and correction in verse 3. He says, Do nothing out of selfish ambition or vain conceit, but in humility consider others better than yourselves. Each of you should look not only to your own interests, but also to the interests of others. You don't look just only. Now, it's okay to look to your own interests, but not only to your own interests. 
you need to look to the interests of other people. And again, that seems to be the opposite of what our culture teaches us. Our, our culture teaches us that I, I've got to do what's best for me, that I've got to look out for number one, that I need to get all the benefits that I deserve. Have you heard that phrase lately? Are you getting all the benefits that you deserve? <laughs> Paul tells us to, to look out for the interest of others. Uh, but it's interesting because our, our tools and our technology today uh, train us to pay attention more to screens than we do to other people. I mean, think about it. What's the focal point in the living room? What's the focal point in the family room? It, it's the big screen, the, the TV. Uh, you walk into a restaurant and see a family seated around a table. What's everybody doing? They're all on their phones. They're not paying attention to each other. They're paying attention to the little screen. Whether it's big screens or little screens, that, that's what our culture is fueling us with. But the problem's not just from the outside. Uh, there, there's a problem inside of us as well. And so I want to identify a couple of joy killers that come from inside of us. And the first one is living to impress. Living to impress. Paul says, do nothing out of selfish ambition or vain conceit. And, and he has to warn us about that because that's where we naturally go. It's our natural bent to promote ourselves. Uh, researchers studied one million books over the last 200 years, and they compared the words that were used then to the words that we use now. And the words that have increased in use today are I, me, my, choice, unique, and special. You know, it's our bent to promote ourselves. And whether it's to say, look at me, I'm awesome, or look at me, I'm doing awful. Okay? Whether, I, whether I'm the victor or the victim, the tendency in our culture is to say, look, look at me, look at me. We desire to impress, we desire to be noticed. We are living for the applause. We're living for the appraisal, approval and the praise of men. And as a result, we've become a nation of narcissists. A university study has identified six trends in our day. Listen to these. Preoccupation with self, being above the rules, inability to receive correction or criticism, refusal to take responsibility, listening only to get ammunition to respond, quicker to anger, been. There we go. Now, we don't end up in that condition uh, because we're bad people. We end up in that condition because it's natural. It's natural for us to go there. It's the bent of our human condition to focus on the self. But God doesn't want us to live a natural life. God offers you something more than a natural life. God offers you a supernatural life. That's what he calls us to in Philippians 2. Paul says, your attitude should be the same as that of Christ Jesus. He says, don't live to impress. Don't live for the applause of, of people. Instead, live like Jesus Christ. And then he offers this amazing description of Christ. He says, Jesus Christ, who, being in very nature God, 
did not consider equality with God something to be grasped, but made himself nothing, taking the very nature of a servant, being made in human likeness, and being found in appearance as a man, he humbled himself and became obedient to death, even death on a cross. Jesus Christ is divine. He is equal with God. He doesn't consider anything about God's character to be outside of his reach or something that he needs to grasp onto. It's something he already has. And yet he made himself nothing. He became a servant. He came in human form. Jesus Christ was great because he stooped so low. He took on the form of a servant. And for us to become like Jesus, we have to learn to serve. Yet that's the exact opposite of what our culture teaches us. Our culture says that the goal is to get other people to serve you. The more people serving you, the more important you are. That's what the world says. But God has a, a value system that's the exact opposite. It's not the more people serving you, the more important you are. It's the more people you are serving, the more important you are. The more you give your life away in service, the more God blesses you with honor. And what's amazing about this is, is we can become like Christ because he became like us. We can become like Christ because he became like us. He humbled himself, became obedient, obedient to death on the cross. And he did the right thing. Even though it was excruciatingly painful for him, he knew that beyond the suffering, there was joy. There was joy. Look, look what happens. Next verse. Therefore God exalted him to the highest place and gave him the name that is above every name, that at the name of Jesus every knee should bow in heaven and on earth and under the earth. And every tongue confess that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God the Father. Every knee is going to bow. Every tongue is going to confess that Jesus is Lord. You know, people ask you, what's this world coming to? You can point them to this. You know what this world's coming to? One day, every knee will bow and every tongue will confess that Jesus Christ is Lord. One day, all the arrogance, all the idolatry, all the denial, all the rebellion will end, and every person who was ever created by God will bow before Jesus Christ and admit, confess that he's Lord. All the kings, all the queens, all the presidents, all the rock stars, movie stars, Super Bowl champs, all the angels, all the demons, things in heaven, things under the earth, everyone will be there. We will be there. And we will confess that Jesus Christ is Lord. The question is, how? Will it be willingly or under duress? If you make the decision to recognize Jesus as Lord now, then on that day when everyone bows for you, it will be an act of worship. It will be an act of adoration. But if you don't humble yourself now and acknowledge Christ as Lord, then on that day you will acknowledge Christ as Lord under duress. Your, may, your knee may not be so much bent as broken, but your tongue will confess that Christ is Lord. And so it's a question, do you do it willingly now or against your will later? And the cool thing about doing it now is, is that you discover the power 
of the phrase, Jesus is Lord. When you're discouraged, say, Jesus is Lord. When you are tempted, say, Jesus is Lord. When you're worried or fearful, say, Jesus is Lord. When you're fatigued, say, Jesus is Lord. When you're lonely, say, Jesus is Lord. When you're grieving, say, Jesus is Lord. It may look like the wrong side is winning, but Jesus is Lord. Your problems may seem insurmountable, but Jesus is Lord. You may feel you can't cope one more day, but Jesus is Lord. Your circumstances may be stacked against you, but Jesus is Lord. Jesus is Lord, and I am his servant. I am his servant. That's the key to joy. You develop a servant's heart. Develop a servant's heart. Become like Christ. Jesus didn't make his life all about him. He humbled himself to do the will of the Father and to benefit us. He said, not my will, but your will, the Father's will, be done. And Paul says, Christ is our model. He's our example. Hebrews 12 says, let us fix our eyes on Jesus, the author and perfecter of our faith, who for the joy set before him endured the cross, scorning its shame and sat down at the right hand of the throne of God. It wasn't nails that kept Jesus on the cross. It was joy. For the joy set before him, he endured the cross. He knew that his act of service would one day be worth it all. So look to Jesus as your model. Humble yourself, serve, live like him. You can develop this attitude, develop this habit, this lifestyle. But the habit of service is not developed in the big things in life. It's developed in the little things. Character is revealed in the great crises of life, but character is built in the little day-to-day -day acts of service. Every day, God tests your humility, your servant's attitude. Every day of your life is a test. It's a test of your pride or your humility. It's a test of whether you have a servant's heart or not. It's a test of whether I'm going to try to be more like me or be more like Jesus Christ. And if I want to have joy, joy like Jesus has, then I need to develop a servant's heart because joy is found beyond ourselves. And so to get there, it takes some heart work. It, it, takes, it takes some change. Three things I want to encourage you to do. One is go all in with God. Go all in. Hold nothing back. See God as my source. See Him as, as the only person that we can look to as we seek to walk through this life. Therefore, my dear friends, as you have always obeyed, not only in my presence, but now much more in my absence, continue to work out your salvation with fear and trembling. Why with fear and trembling? Because it's with awe and reverence. This isn't a flippant thing. This is important, serious stuff. I'm working out my salvation every day. It matters how I respond. For it is God who works in you to will and to act according to his good purpose. And so I want you to know, wherever you are in your spiritual journey today, God recognizes that that's where you're at. God knows where you're at, and he isn't judging you. He just loves you just the way you are, but he doesn't want you to stay that way. He wants you to continue to work out 
your salvation. And please, please notice that Paul does not say work for your salvation. You are not saved by your good works. You're saved by the good work of Jesus Christ. You're saved by your faith in Christ. And then you just keep working out that salvation for the rest of your life. And and Paul says, you don't even do that in your own strength, for it's God that works in you. That's why you go all in. So God can do the work in you that he desires to do. That that phrase, work out your salvation, carries the idea of getting gold out of a gold mine. There's a whole lot of gold that God has for you. God is the source of all life, the source of all joy, love, and peace. It's all there, but you've got to work it out. You've got to get it out of the mine. And God loves you right where you are, and he has great things in store for you, and he is begging you to go for it. Now, how does that play out? It doesn't happen when you focus on yourself. It happens when you serve others. God wants to be your source so that you can become a source for other people. God just wired up the universe in such a way that joy does not come from status or salary or success. A lot of wealthy, successful people don't have joy in their lives. Joy comes from serving God wired up the universe so that you are most joyful when you are giving your life away. Why? Because God wants you to become like Him. God wants you to become like Christ. And God is a generous, giving God. And so the more I give my life away, the more I serve God by serving others, the more joyful I will be. You want to be joyful? Look for opportunities to serve others every day. Practice generosity every day. You guys are so good at this. You are a very generous church. Now, if you study life expectancy, if you look at how long people live in various careers and conditions, one of the factors in life expectancy is serving other people. People who volunteer to serve live longer. Proven medical fact. Not only do they live longer, but they live happier and more joyful lives if they serve others. Getting the focus off of me, getting the focus onto someone else makes my joy go up, makes my sorrow go down, and extends my life. That's why God calls us to go all in for Him because it benefits everybody. It's good for us, it's good for others, it's good for God. So I'd encourage you to ask yourself, where do you sacrificially volunteer to serve others on a regular basis? It'll bring more joy into your life. Number two, if I want to have joy, I must take a genuine interest in others. Paul says, I hope in the Lord Jesus to send Timothy to you soon, that I also may be cheered when I receive news about you. I have no one else like him who takes a genuine interest in your welfare. For everyone looks out for his own interests, not those of Christ. Paul says of Timothy, I have no one else like him. Timothy takes a genuine interest in the welfare of the Philippians. Everyone else is looking out for his own interests, not for the interests of Jesus Christ. But Timothy, he takes a genuine interest in others. 
You know, others look out for their own interests. The Phillips translation of that verse says this about people. It says, they're all wrapped up in their own affairs. They're all wrapped up. You know, for those of you who are single adults, let me give you a little fatherly advice. It's better to sit at home without a date than to date somebody who's all wrapped up in themselves. Ladies, a guy who's all wrapped up in himself is no gift. Guys, a woman who's all wrapped up in herself is no gift. Paul says we should take a genuine interest in others. And and this is more than just knowing uh, what's going on in their life. Oh, I take an interest in people. I'm on Facebook. I, I see what they eat. I see where they go on vacation. I've seen their cats. No, this is a whole lot deeper than that. This, to take a genuine interest, means to care for people with our actions like we claim with our words. To care for people with our actions, not just our words. And again, you know, I feel like I'm preaching to the choir because you guys are already so good at this. You know, we did the, the Thanksgiving dinner thing with heart and hand again this year. And with the donations that you dropped off here at church, from the donations that you gave through the drive through thing, the donations that came in from our kids' small groups, our kids' small groups are champs at this. Our kids around here are generous kids. And last year, we provided enough food for 161 families to have Thanksgiving dinner. 161 families last year. Yeah, yeah, hold your applause till this. Listen to this. This year, we provided enough food for 294 families. Yeah. How cool is that? That's 133 more families. Uh, Heart and Hand uh, told us that they were able to feed 1,188 people this year. You guys provided almost one-fourth of that. I just think that is so awesome. You guys are so good. So if I'm serious about pursuing joy in my life, I will use my life in to serve God by serving others. That, that, that's the way you serve God, is by serving others. You can't see God here on earth. God's invisible. And you serve God, even if you can't see him, you serve him by serving others. Jesus said that when you give a cup of cold water to a thirsty person in Jesus' name, it's as if you're giving that to Jesus himself. That, that, that's how important service is. And it all makes sense when, when we see that the circle of service that God has put in, into place is complete. God is my source. I don't need to worry about myself. God's my source, so I'm going to serve other people. And when I serve other people, my problems get smaller. I mean, that's just how the world is supposed to work. But when we short-circuit that by being selfish and putting ourselves first, that, that's when we lose our power and we lose our joy. We need to take a genuine interest in others. Number three, I got to live a life of intentional relationships. Philippians 2.25, he says, I think it is necessary to send back to you Epaphroditus, my brother, fellow worker, and fellow soldier, who is also your messenger, whom you sent to take care of my needs. And Paul uses three relational metaphors here in referring to Epaphroditus. He calls him my brother, my fellow worker, my fellow soldier. Paul says, life is like a family. Life is like a fellowship. Life is like a fight. It's a family, a fellowship, a fight. And he says, that this is what Epaphroditus has been to me. And 133 times, the Bible uses family terms to refer to the church. 
Paul says the church is a family. Guys, you need some spiritual brothers in your life. Ladies, you need some spiritual sisters in your life. Don't don't do life alone. Get connected with your church family. At Rockbrook, we do that through our small groups. You know, our our small group semester, it's winding down now. But listen, after the the start of the year, we're going to fire it up again. So start making the decision now. I'm going to get plugged into a small group so I can connect with the church family. Paul says we need fellow workers. People who are are running the same race that we are. People who challenge us and, and encourage us. You know, at Rockbrook, we do that through our dream teams. We have about 16 teams that do ministry together around here. And what you guys do in the dream teams, it's a great help to the church. But it's a greater help to the people who are on the teams. You know, we don't do the dream team thing because the church needs it. We do it because you need it. You you do ministry with other people. You have fellow workers. You have co-laborers in your life. You have people who can encourage and build you up and sharpen you. And then he says, my fellow soldier. Would you agree that that the spiritual life is a battle? You know, we need to support, defend, encourage, and protect each other. Uh, You know, the cool thing about gathering for worship every, every week is that we get to see the church gathered. We get to see the body of Christ. And I love it when our small groups meet and when our dream teams serve because then we get to experience the body of Christ. You need both of those. You need to be able to see the body of Christ and you need to be able to experience it. And then Paul also says that Epaphroditus is the Philippian church's messenger. Epaphroditus was a member of the church back in Philippi, and when the church decided to send an offering to Paul, they looked for someone to volunteer to make the trip to Rome. And Epaphroditus raised his hand and said, I'll go. And when he vol- there were no planes, trains, and automobiles back then. I mean, what, what Epaphroditus was saying was, he says, I'll trek 800 miles through storms and floods and rock slides and past robbers and thieves, I'll walk 800 miles to take a gift to a guy in prison who's about to be executed. Paul says he risked his life, and he, in the Greek he uses a gambling term. Literally, Epaphroditus gambled his life for the sake of the church, for the sake of Paul, for the sake of Christ. And then on the 800-mile journey, Epaphroditus got sick. Uh, Got sick almost to death. And it doesn't tell us what kind of disease he got. Probably some early form of a virus like COVID-2 or COVID-3 back in that day. (laughs) Keep those cards and letters. But in spite of sickness almost to death, Epaphroditus completes his mission and he finishes what he started and so what commitment have you started that you haven't finished what commitment have you made that you haven't kept maybe it's a commitment to your husband or your wife maybe a commitment to your children to a friend to a boss maybe it's a commitment to God what have you started that you haven't completed And how do you feel about that? You see, there is joy in keeping our commitments to others. 
Our joy is found beyond ourselves. It's found in keeping our commitments to others. And so is your commitment to Christ deep enough to cause you to risk your life? You know, many people are happy to serve Christ if it's convenient, but are you willing to to live for Christ when it's inconvenient, when it costs you something, when it requires a risk? You know, if you were in the Philippian church, would you have given to this offering? You know, Paul, the Philippian church wasn't rich. Paul said they gave this offering out of their need. They sacrificed. They took a risk. Would you have given of your resources to help Paul, a guy 800 miles away in prison awaiting execution? Epaphroditus risked his own life to help Paul. And God honored them. He's honored them forever. We're still talking about it. I mean, do you think God's plan is to let you just coast through your life without your faith ever costing you something? As long as you're alive, God's going to keep working in you. He's going to keep testing your faith, maturing your faith, strengthening your faith. And God is calling you to be a part. God is calling you to be part of a church family. He's calling you to serve in some capacity. That's what he wants you to do. He's calling you to serve. He's calling you to give to the church. I mean, why else would he bring you here if that's not what he's calling you to do? And so I'm going to ask you today just to pray a very short prayer. Just pray the prayer, use me. God, use me. Short prayer, but it's the key to joy. Because joy comes from putting service before self putting service before security, service before safety. There's joy in risking for your faith. And then Paul ends ends with a promise. Philippians 2.14, he says, do everything without complaining or arguing. And he he starts there, he says, don't be fretting and fighting over the small stuff, because that's a joy killer. I mean, do you ever fret and fight over small stuff? It's just a hard habit to break because we're negative by nature. Since Adam and Eve, we've been excusing and accusing. We excuse ourselves and we accuse everybody else. We fret and we fight. We hide and we hurl. He says, don't do that. Why? So that you may become blameless and pure. Children of God without fault in a crooked and depraved generation in which you shine like stars in the universe. Listen, folks, life is crazy. I mean, we live in a crooked and depraved generation. But when you take on a servant's heart, you can become pure and blameless. You can become children of God without fault, and you can shine like the stars in the universe. Yeah, the world is crooked and perverse. But you know, jewelers put diamonds on a a black velvet cloth because they shine brighter against a black backdrop. And as the world and our culture becomes more crooked, more perverse, more depraved, Christians are to shine brighter and brighter. We can become pure and blameless, children of God without fault. You know, when you sin, admit it. Admit it, confess it, turn from it. You fall in the mud, don't wallow in it. Ask God to pick you up, set your feet on the rock, and clean you up. Humble yourselves. 
therefore under God's mighty hand, that he may lift you up in due time. We humble ourselves and God exalts us. Just as Christ humbled himself and God exalted him, he became like us so we can become like him. We can be servants and we can serve for the joy set before us and one day God will exalt us. Let's pray together. God, I pray you'd help us not to live to impress or live for applause, but help us instead to develop a servant's heart. May we go all in for God. May we work out our salvation with fear and trembling. May we take it seriously. And may we be, put ourselves forward to do the good works that you've created us to do. May we take a genuine interest in others, looking not just to our own interests, but be willing to sacrifice and serve for others. May we live a life of intentional relationships, life as a family, life as a fellowship, life as a fight. God, it's my prayer that each of us would say, use me, use me. And I thank you for the promise of joy in serving you, joy in serving others, and the promise that as we serve, we can shine like stars in the universe. In Jesus' name we pray, amen. Thanks for joining us today. We would love for you to get connected to what's going on at Rockbrook. Visit us online at rockbrook.org for service times, small group information, and other ways you can discover your purpose here on earth.